Hello, Caroline. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Wife Who, the podcast where we learn about women. Women that other people may have heard of. Well, possibly not. I feel like we're discovering some, like Hilda Matheson was quite a good one that I don't think many people will have heard of, actually. I think you did really well to find her. Yeah, she was a good one. And, but then we also did um, some quite big ones. And actually, we are finding more and more links to these women as well, aren't we? So We are. Yeah, it's a bit of a gamble as to whether you might have heard of these women or not. So welcome to The Wife Who, where we talk about women from history that we think you'll find interesting. And tonight, I believe it's time for a Louise episode. Am I right? It is. It's me up this evening. I'm excited to find out who you have picked for us. It kind of feels like, um, what was that program in the 80s where, is it like, this is, this is your life where you don't quite know who's going to come on stage? So, Caroline. Oh, are you thinking of um, tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be yeah. that one? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit uh, of that. Stars in their eyes. So tonight, Caroline, I'm going to be, or have you heard of, Julie Daubigny? Absolutely, 100% no, I have really? not. Really? Yeah. Okay. You Ooh. see, I thought that you might have read a little bit about her. I kind of assume that I'm the only ignorant, ignorant one here, <laughs> and that most of the people listening to this podcast will also have heard of her. I don't know. I, that rings no bells whatsoever. Well... Do you know, I think uh, she's kind of been described as um, the French Arya Stark. So hopefully that gets you excited. Ooh. Oh, we love a bit of Arya Stark, don't we? We really do. So she was both a swordswoman and an opera singer. Whoa, great combination. What a combination. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I, I'm really excited to tell you about this, this lass. So... She was born in 1673. So she's French and she's born okay. in the time of the Sun King. So he's uh -huh. come up before, hasn't he? Yes. I believe so he's Louis the 14th. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And is this the time of Margaret Cavendish as well? It could be. She was certainly 1600s. Was she 1623 to 1670 something? So yeah, it could be. Well, one of our girls, and it's shocking that I can't remember, um, went over to France around the yep. time of the court of the Sun King, I think. Yeah, if that was around the same time as um, Charles I and all that uh, malarkey, then, yeah, Margaret and presumably uh, Artemisia as well, because they possibly could have met, couldn't they? Yeah, so who knows if any of these mm. women ever came into the, the, the orbits of each other. Mm. Anyway, she was born the daughter of a secretary to King Louis XIV's Master of Horse. So there is a title, apparently, Master of Horse, or there nice. was then. Good title. And this man was uh, Count de Armagnac, also known as the Grand Squire of France. Mm -hmm. so, so, that's, so her father is secretary to this, this count. And her father is this accomplished swordsman, uh, and he trains the court pages. And he trains Julie alongside the boys in swordsmanship, but I guess we should also call it swordswomanship. Oh, nice. Sword, yes. <laughs> sword fighting, maybe. Yes. But apparently her dad trained her up to like help her defend off suitors. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Good for him. Well, you say that, but I, I feel like he, um, he must have been either 
lacking in awareness or either his boss was just like far too domineering because by the age of 13, Julie had become the mistress of Count de Armagnac, oh, her good father's heavens. employer. Oh, well, that didn't work out too well then, did it? <laughs> no, I mean, she was either 13 or 14. It's a bit hazy, Blimey. but we're still talking young. Very. Blimey. So she's having this affair with this Count. And uh, so this Count, he finds her a husband, somebody called Sieur de Mapin. Wait, what? So, so he's sleeping with her, but he finds her a husband? Yes, and I think he must do this as a way of trying to help keep up appearances. I think she is supposed to be in a more powerful position as a married woman than as a, a young, supposed virgin. Okay. So he arranges this, this marriage for her. And, I mean, it was definitely a marriage of convenience because pretty much as soon as she's married, this man, Sieur de Mapin, um, he is dispatched to live on an island in the French Indies to, to work. I think even like the morning after the wedding. So the island life didn't appeal to Julie one bit. And I think uh, the Count probably made sure about that as well. So she, uh, she basically stays in France. And I don't know if she ever saw him again. Wow. I mean, if she wasn't that keen on him, then that's kind of nice. She's got the status of being a married woman. She hasn't got the, I guess, perceived shame of having been somebody's mistress. The Count has washed his hands and, you know, he's found her a nice little deal. And she doesn't have to put up with a really crappy husband that she doesn't like. So exactly. it's it is, so bad. It's kind of a win-win situation. Yeah. So and he never really comes up again in in any of the things you you read about her. So he's off the scene. But she quickly gets bored of Count d'Armagnac. Because let's face it, she's young and she's vibrant and he's probably quite old. And he's served his time. So about a year after marrying this Mapan guy, who then she never sees again, she's about 17, I think, at this point. And she meets this fencing master called Saran. So she runs away with him. Nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, uh. bear in mind, she's, she's involved with three men. So she's been having <laughs> the affair with the Count. She's married to another guy. And then she meets Saran, has an affair with him. And she runs away with him. With her dancing master, as Arya would have it. Yeah, exactly. Not, you know what? It's not Arya, is it? I always get that wrong. It's Arya. Guys, write uh, in if you know exactly how to pronounce that. Aya. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it that Aya's fencing master said to her? Uh, what he, do we say to death? Exactly. Not today. Not today. What do we say to the Count? Not today, Count. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in about 1688 now. So, sorry, Julie was born, yeah, 1673. Okay. Around... 1688, uh, her and Saran run away and Julie finds out he is wanted for murder. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. It, it, he's probably killed someone by dueling. So okay. a lieutenant is on the hunt for him, attempts to arrest him, but they escape to Marseille. Now, in Marseille, Saran and Julie made a, a, a tidy sum from their talents. So they would set up shop in an inn or a tavern. Julie would sing a few songs. And then Saran and Julie would hold this, this exhibition of um, like a fencing match. 
and they would challenge anyone brave enough for high stakes and they win every single time no one can beat them I think so, that sounds really cool actually what a way to earn a living I know Great. they are raking it in <laughs> love it and we're just gonna talk about Julie's uh, like clothing attire at this point because she has a preference for boys clothes trousers okay well yeah I mean if you're gonna be jumping about a lot with a sword then yeah exactly we never saw Aya in her dresses did we she had to move so it'll be yep. this it'll have been the same for Julie so I th- I'm assuming I think she felt more comfortable in them um probably helped her defense better but she definitely had this preference for trousers so I think some some people at the time kind of doubted if she was a woman I mean, she was so good at this sword fighting that um, apparently did, people did doubt she could be a woman. And on one occasion, a man refused to believe she really was a woman. So what did she do to prove her points? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, she flashes him, obviously, and the whole crowd. Oh, you know who that reminds me of? I'm sure it's someone else we've talked about. It's your Agnadice or Agnadike. It is, yes, exactly. Oh, you don't think I'm a woman who can deliver babies? Look at this. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm sure it's like, who does this remind me of? I'm sure we've talked about somebody. Oh, brilliant. Well, I mean, I feel it's a little uncouth of her, but I mean, it gets the point across, just like it did for Agna Dice. It does. And, you know, uh, women in this particular society, just like in Britain, just like in probably most countries around the world, they were repressed in the main, but there was this romanticized notion of female warriors, thanks to Joan of Arc. So the crowds were just lapping up this warrior, this female warrior that was a little bit, you know, non-feminine. She was loved. Great. And the the other thing that really drew the crowds were, um, apparently after winning a duel, and she won every single duel, she had this habit of singing um, this mocking song to her defeated opponent. And I think this is this must have been where she really nurtured her talents with opera, and when she, you know, where she started to learn how to sing uh, properly. She was spotted a lot doing this this singing. Do we have any examples After of this? Are you are you, you going to sing me an example of a mocking song? I, oh, I love God. the sound of it. <laughs> I, I wish that down the line, four hundred years later, there were still the songs written down. And oh, what a shame! <laughs> if I even tried, I'd break the internet. So. We won't subject okay. anyone to that. If anyone is listening, I would love to see examples of what you think those mocking songs would have been I like. Know. Like what what would the lyrics have been? Would it have been like uh, your mother is a hamster and your father <laughs> smells of blueberry? Like what would it be? Uh, write in, guys, please. And and you know, whoever writes the best one will give you full credit. We'll we'll read it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We'd love it if you could write us a song of uh, Julie's songs to the ear. Love it. <laughs> the defeated guys. Yeah, she's she's attracting a lot of attention. At some point, she's able to start singing in the Marseille Opera Company. I think she's doing a bit of both because she's working. She stays in Marseille and she's traveling around doing the sword fighting, but she's also singing with the Marseille Opera Company. That sounds pretty uh, pretty posh. Like, I presumably that's not just a bunch of peasants that have got together and putting on concerts. This is like no good job, and it's- right? It's not the Paris Opera Company, but it's it's still an opera company. So she's still obviously good enough to be able to, to sing with this company. And she's starting to attract a lot of attention. And, you know, she's, she's 17. She's been with Saran about a year. 
And of course, what does she do? She gets tired of him as well. And while she's singing, this young noblewoman, so she catches the attention of this young noblewoman who becomes infatuated with Julie after seeing her sing at the opera. And Julie returns the feeling. Wow. We don't know the name of this girl. Apparently she was the daughter of a merchant trader. Um, but So we know that they started this romantic affair. The family discovers this and they pack their daughter off to a convent. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Well, it doesn't stop Julie. So Julie follows mm. her young love to the convent and she enters it as well. So she takes, t- takes the vows. You're kidding. Wow. That, I mean, yeah. that's some commitment, right? Well, it, but this, that's just the start of their story together. So they're in this convent together. And one night, this, this old, older nun has died, right? So they cook up this plan where they steal the body of this old nun and they place it in this young girl's cell. And then they set fire to the convent and they run. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Why? What? So what what they're trying to do is suggest that uh, there was a fire and that that the girl, Julie's lover, has died in the fire. So I guess they're trying to use the old body. So they can elope and like... Exactly. And no no one will think to chase them. God, this is like the Count of Monte Cristo when he uses like the old dude's body and pretends that it's him and stuff. Wow, this is um, serious. Wow, but that's just like almost like one little experience of her life. So they were on the run for three months. And uh, Julie, I guess at some point it's discovered that they are on the run and that they did hatch up this plan. So Julie is sentenced to death but I think it's deaf in absentia. How would you pronounce that? In absentia? Absentia. Mm-hmm. Absentia. And it, yeah. and it would be deaf by fire. That's how she should be killed. Um, and that's... So she's given that sentence by the parliament in Provence uh, under the name Sieur de Mapan because the judges couldn't quite admit that it was a woman abducting another woman. Oh, oh interesting. So... They think, they still think, they probably think it's not, but they go with the line that it's not a woman. Uh, but you see, I was going to interrupt you and be like, oh, this is Joan of Arc being burned at the stake because she was a woman, like dressing as a man, and that's what happened to her, and they're doing the same thing. But they're not even acknowledging that she's a woman. They don't seem to. Like, they just mm. seem to not be able to admit that it could have been a woman doing these things. Whoosh. And then... The story goes that three months later, either she tires of her lover or somehow they're captured, the girl is returned to her family. But basically, Julie just has to get on with her life after three months of being on the run. So she returns to Paris and she asks her first lover, the the old count, um, if he can get her a pardon by the king for this you know, sentence that, that she has. Okay. And and it's arranged. Uh, the Sun King gives her a pardon. Uh, really? Just because she slept with some nasty old count when she was 13? This is crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the Sun King <laughs> likes this story. You know, maybe the count said, well, you know, they were in this convent and, you know, they set fire to it and they did a run. And the Sun King was, you know, from what we know about him, maybe he just really liked the... 
the romantic side of the story, the, the drama, interesting, the drama, because mm. he loved the drama, didn't he? So, well, all right then. <laughs> I hope you're right. I would love it if he's like, yeah, sure, I'll pardon this crazy ass <laughs> bitch. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come back to the king pardoning her. So, um, let's move on to Julie's next lover. And uh, this is a man called uh, Gabriel Vincent Thervenard, and he's a singer. So in, they're in Paris together, and he auditions for the Paris Opera. They offer him a place, and he, his condition to accept this place is that Julie should also be allowed to audition. Oh, nice. And I think they agree kind of reluctantly, but the next thing you know, she's a member of this internationally well, renowned musical company. It just goes to show it's always been like this. It's not what you know, it's who you're banging. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's internationally famous. It's Paris. And she has yeah. no formal training. So just imagine how, you know, how charismatic she must have been. And so this guy, Thevenard, they're not lovers all of their life, but apparently they stay friends for, you know, the rest of her life. Um, but I think they used to have, like, dramatic spats. And one one night, apparently on stage, she, like, bit his ear so hard he bled. Oh. But that's opera, right? Is it? it probably is. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> in, the, in the thick of the drama. Uh, so she's, she, you know, she's adored and celebrated. She's been pardoned by the king. She's now singing in, in the opera in Paris. And she's known in France as La Mapin. Uh, so Mapin, obviously, is her, her married surname. And at some point, uh, the Mar Marquis de Dango wrote in his journal of a performance by La Mapin in 1701 that hers was the most beautiful voice in the world. Wow. So she's, she impresses people. And what was uh, quite impressive about her was that she was both soprano, so the highest pitch for a female singer, and contralto, which is the lowest pitch for a female singer. So she had this huge range and she could just and, alternate and she's not been trained in any way but she can do all of it yeah i think she'd probably had singing lessons at some point um, right in her teens but it's not like she'd had this constant you know daily tuition of singing hmm. so she's you know this is what she's doing now as her as her career she's singing on the stage and she is loved by high society and she's often the guest at balls and at one point she was even uh, the guest of uh, king louis the 14th the sun king and um i think at this particular ball she went to she showed up in this bright red tunic and she flirted with like a lot of the women there and then at one point there was this really stunning woman that all the noblemen were you know fawning over and she, I think, you know, marched up to this woman on the dance floor and she kisses her right in front Ooh. of the royal family. <gasps> that is some decadent behaviour, my know. girl. Whoosh. Just fearless. <laughs> wow. And, and the men, they do not like this at all. I so bet. they're telling her she has to act more ladylike. And her response to this is, so she politely invites them to basically take it outside. And she beats all of them in consecutive <laughs> duels. Like she takes them all basically uh, in oh. a sword fight 
And, and you know wins. what she does next? And then she sings an amazing mock <laughs> opera <laughs> at each of them. Yeah. If anyone oh, can write it. in with an, a mock opera song, that'd be <laughs> just as good. It'd be amazing. Oh, wow. I love her. What a legend. Oh, I know. She is an absolute <laughs> legend. But unfortunately, dueling has been outlawed by the king. Oh, so, and she's doing this at the royal balls too. Yeah. Oh, no. So oh. she basically has to flee France um. and she flees to Brussels. So she's she's in exile, basically. Oh, for heaven's sake, how the mighty are fallen at this point. She was right yeah. in there, the upper echelon of society. And she really was. But she her, just her, couldn't resist. You know, her instinct to fight just... Um, it was it's like the equivalent of a pub brawl isn't it but it's she got so much raj. class to it <laughs> pia pia raj <laughs> oh, hilarious but i think she must set herself up as an opera singer in brussels and she gets herself another lover and he's called the elector of bavaria i'm sorry you know i, I don't know a lot about this guy but apparently he finds her a bit too much at some point as well <laughs> um, a bit too much to handle and she she apparently she stabs herself on stage with a real dagger and at Wait, this point what? i think he's like you are too much i can't handle this you she are, is you're crazy. pure raj yeah just wow so the story goes that he offers her forty thousand francs to leave him alone <laughs> and uh she throws the coins at the feet of his uh, emissary. Is that what you'd call it? Emissary. His emissary. Mm. emissary. And she stomps off to Madrid in a huff. So she doesn't even take the 40,000. Well, girl, no. I mean, she's got a lot to learn. <laughs> Honestly, I swear to God, if, if we could earn that much money from men wanting us to leave them alone, I would be <laughs> harassing every guy on the street. You just have to make sure you harass the rich ones. <laughs> oh, so funny. She is a feisty live wire, this one, right? She's so feisty. And I think at this point she's maybe 23, 24, 25. Wow, still so young. St I know. But full of attitude. <laughs> so I think she's in Madrid. I don't I don't know how long she's in Madrid. I don't think it's a very long time. And I think she might be working as a maid there. Wow. But I don't think she particularly enjoys it. I mean, she's an opera singer, so of course yeah, she's not going to enjoy it. A, a prize fighter as well, essentially. Exactly. So, yeah. And I think mm. as a maid, she's working for people she doesn't particularly like. She's working for this uh, woman at some point called Countess Marino. So apparently one night when she's dressing this countess for a ball, uh, the countess doesn't realise, but Julie has adorned her hair with loads of radishes. Radishes. And everyone, yeah, everyone can see it, but the countess can't see it. This is like a practical joke. So she, yeah. oh wow. So the, the, the countess goes to the ball, and Julie's like, "Screw this!" And she gets straight on the road back to Paris. Yeah, quite wise, probably. She, yeah, she's not there for the fallout from that. And somehow she gets another pardon from the king. Another one? What? <laughs> yeah so this time she gets pardoned for dueling i think someone argued her case for her i think it might have been the king's brother or somehow she manages to get a second pardon and i think 
the king just loved this story about, you know, this yeah, woman, I mean, Julian. Yeah. And- After the first one, you hear her story, you're like, this is hilarious. I'm totally going to pardon her. She comes back. She's got another caper with, attached to a hilarious story. For sure you're going to pardon her. Like, yeah. No question. <laughs> like, keep like- coming. Keep telling us these stories, girl. You just keep doing your thing. <laughs> this woman is an asset to France. Just yeah, bring it is. on. <laughs> so... She goes back to opera singing in Paris. And um, so she falls in love with this really famous soprano called uh, Fanchon Moreau. And I think for the first time in her life, she is rejected. Uh, So she tries to kill herself. Whoa. But thankfully it doesn't work. But I guess she's just so... She's so emotional, isn't she? She wears her heart on her sleeve and she's so... You know, she, she's almost still, she's yeah, and it's almost passion. like she's still like a teenager with her yeah. emotions. Yeah, drama queen, opera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a bit of time goes on, and I guess her wounds have healed, and she falls in love again, and this time it is reciprocated. Uh, in 1703, she fell in love with Madame la Marquise de Florensoc. And apparently she is considered the most beautiful woman in France. So she's so beautiful that the Grand Dauphin, who is the heir to the French throne, was obsessed with her, with, with this woman that Julie falls in love with. But the Grand Dauphin doesn't get her, but Julie, the sword-fighting, bisexual <laughs> opera queen from back home, does. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> And I think this is the love story of her life, right? So they have okay. to flee from France because, of course, the Grand Dauphin will be furious that Julie has stolen this woman from him. So I think they must flee to Brussels or they fl- they live somewhere else in Europe. And it's supposed to be like just they're in perfect harmony for two years. So they have this, this love story for two years and then Florensoc dies of a fever. Oh. So, yeah, she loses the love of her life at this point. And I think this is what breaks her. So no one really knows the particulars of her life, really, after this. But as in, you know, where she died or right. maybe how old she was. The stories go that it was, a lot of people have said it's 33. But I've even seen some reports say it's 37. But... She's distraught and she's heartbroken and she retires apparently to a convent. So Again. I'm amazed that she's even allowed back in one after, well, after her m- reputation. Maybe she changes her name or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'd be <Yeah>. surprised. <laughs> she set fire to one. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so she would have stayed with this woman forever by the sound of it. She would have done. But she, you know, this woman dies. Mm. And then a, a few years later, uh, Julie dies. Apparently... I think if we go with the age of 33, which seems to be the most common, uh, the yeah. common age you hear. So young. But, I know. I mean, she's lived a, a rich life, though. She really has. And, you know, this, this female sword fighter who could beat any man at dueling, like no one could <laughs> beat her. That's so it, cool. It is. And I think there has been things... Uh, produced and written about her, you know, since. So yeah. she's been the subject of 
books, uh, at least one film plays apparently a ballet. And there was a French TV series about it. But, you know, I really wish that HBO would get on this. I feel like HBO could really do this justice. Yeah, I reckon so. I mean, you mentioned there was a film. Do you know how long ago the film was done? Is it a recent-ish one or is it more like a like 80s TV drama like some of these other ones I'm coming yeah, across? Yeah, I think it's 70s, 80s. Okay, right. Well, you know, there's time. I mean, you know, may- maybe we should do it. You know what? We keep saying every every episode, we say, why isn't there a good film about this? I maybe know. we just need to get dressed and like have one of our partners film us just out in the open <laughs> after lockdown and we'll just do it. We'll just do it ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I feel like we just couldn't do the sword fighting justice. Yeah, I'd give it a good crack. I mean, I might be no Arya, but uh, <laughs> my partner's a fencer. So, you know. Chris could probably us. show you a few moves. Yeah. <laughs> amazing woman. So she, she falls into obscurity after this amazing life, but essentially we think she has died in her 30s. Tragically, sort yeah. of kind of fizzled out to nothing really heartbroken i know and i guess hmm. what do they say those that burn burn the too brightly they, yeah they burn out too quickly or something guys write in what's the <laughs> what's the saying <laughs> oh, oh i love she that really, story how did you find really out did about bright. this um about this woman how did you find out about she her? appears in pretty much every book or every blog post you read about, you know, women of history you need to know about. Um, I don't know. I haven't come across her. At least I don't think I have. There, There's a similar story. I thought it might be the same woman, but no. Um, there was a British woman who was an actor um, around the kind of Shakespearean period, I think, who was also, um, she was good with weapons and she would dress as a man. Um, but as I say, she was British and she would be a great story to do one of these days. I was thinking about, um, but I wonder, I'm not even sure she led quite an, as an illustrious life as this one did. So great find. Um, and by weird coincidence, my next woman is also French. Um, from the 1700s. So, hmm. Mm, I wonder if they ever cross paths. Hmm. Possibly not. I think there was a bit of a bit of a gap between them. But uh, it's weird that we both chose French this time from the same sort of period. So it is, isn't it? It was clearly yeah. a uh, what would you call psychic kind of psychic thing. No, I was going to say it was clearly a fruitful time for women because wasn't. Ah. Uh, Margaret Cavendish was in that era. Yeah, well, she was a bit earlier. Uh, I think she actually might have died the same year that uh, your woman was born. Remind me of her full name. Uh, Julie de Aubigny. De Aubigny. How are we spelling that? Has it got a G in there somewhere? Or Aubigny is D apostrophe A U B I G N Y. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really liked her. I think she was fun. She was fiery, and I do love That's a fiery a, wife. Yeah, she didn't necessarily like contribute manifest like feminist manifestos to the world, but she just has such a great story of what women can do. Yeah. Well, thank you, Louise. I guess that brings another waifu episode to a close. Um, can I just remind everyone about how we have a website? And actually, we have been posting the um, 
corrections and answers to questions and photographs and images from all of our stories on a blog post on the website um, and you can also listen to the episodes there although I guess if you're listening to this you must have found a way to listen so <laughs> you don't need to know that um, and Instagram we're really trying to use Instagram a little bit so if you haven't found us on there please do look us up we are at the underscore wife underscore who obviously wife spelt with a why and we're doing a bunch on facebook too so please people give us a like if you're listening on apple podcasts give us a review um we would just be so grateful for any sort of interaction from listeners we are just learning so much and i i feel a combination of pride of how much we're learning and shame that we didn't know more before <laughs> what do you I think i feel so ignorant <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, that's why we're doing this. And we aren't the only ones, you know. If we feel this way, there are going to be a bunch of women and guys out there, more guys, I imagine, who just don't know about women's history. Um, and we should, you know, we should be bringing the... I mean, it's the one that you did tonight is quite funny, really, I suppose, because she's remembered for being daring and breaking gender barriers. And I love that. Although she's not like... Um, the one that we're going to do uh, later is going to be the the woman who discovered the first the first coronavirus. So it's such a contrast, isn't it? It's like women who achieved something that changes history, and then you've got women who just broke down barriers. And I love them equally, yeah. don't you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So like your um, Ada Lovelace compared to this one, for example, what a contrast, but brilliant. Love it. Well, I, I know I was thinking about was the last one I did Mary Wollstonecraft. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, and then, of course, after me, I did Mary Wollstonecraft, I told you I then went and watched that film, uh, Mary Shelley, about her daughter. Yeah. And I thought I was dealing with, you know, such a pioneer, such this such a famous woman and you know what's funny when I looked for podcasts on Mary Wollstonecraft I maybe found three and she was so famous and then when yeah. I looked for podcasts on Julie there was about 25 really and I was like Gosh. wow how does Julie get so much uh exposure but Mary Wollstonecraft who is just you know uh what the echelons of historical mm, you know the, yeah. the start of the feminist movement it's interesting. I mean, the, it's funny that the one that I'm going to be doing next is I was looking for an audiobook because, as you know, I try to avoid reading and I prefer listening. And uh, <laughs> I was looking for an audiobook about her. And there was only there's only in fact, there aren't any. There's none. Let's put it out there. There's none. I had to buy an actual kindle books so i am actually having to read for this next one that i'm doing i hope you appreciate the sacrifice oh, that must be so hard caroline <laughs> it so is anyway um so there weren't any and then we got chatting about it and i was like well i wonder there's got to be almost like a ranking of you know what are the most famous women of all time so let's say for example marie curie how many audiobooks are there about marie curie there's maybe 15 like that yeah that's a good number i suppose but then what about margaret cavendish how many are there for her interestingly only one and it is her work the burning no sorry the blazing world i nearly got that wrong then the blazing world and other stories and you can listen to that on audiobook but there are no books about her life at all so it's interesting wow. it's almost like there's this kind of sliding scale of you know most well known to 
there are no books about you. I mean, I know audiobooks a bit more sp- sort of specialized, but it's interesting. You go on there and it's like, pick any man from history. You're going to have dozens probably, you know? Yeah. I'd kind of like to do like a ranking of them somehow. I don't know how I could do that. But anyway, interesting stuff. Okay, so please do uh, respond in some way, interact with us on either our website or on Instagram or Facebook or somewhere, and we will be super happy about it. Yeah, please let us know if you get to the end of our podcasts. We just want to know if people don't switch off after five minutes. I'd be so happy if anyone actually does. And on that note, we'll do a fake clink. (laughs) It's so hard when we're in lockdown and remote. And say goodnight. Goodnight, Lou. Goodnight, Caroline. Night, everyone.